0: We've dedicated 2019 to be the year of strategic discipleship. Our heart and passion is that we would see life transformation in each and every one of us. That at the end of the year, we'd look back and say, I've grown as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And this morning, I have the privilege of welcoming a man to our pulpit. He's been in our pulpit once before. Kind of a new friend of mine, but I just told him recently, I said, you know, Our friendship doesn't have a lot of years to it, but I feel like I've known him for a long time because David is a man whose heart and passion and ministry is dedicated to discipleship. He wrote a book called The Discipleship Journey that one of our life groups is walking through. It's a beautiful book, practically breaking down many different aspects and trying to see how that can become incorporated as part of our lives. He's the director of a ministry called Lion's Share, which is dedicated to discipleship. He speaks in YWM discipleship schools around the world. He's a man that's the real deal. He loves the Lord and wants to multiply himself and multiply disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he flew up yesterday just to be with us this morning. We're pri- privileged to have him in our pulpit. Let's welcome Dave Buring.
1: Aloha. I lived in Hawaii for seven years so the way that they do it is I say it to you and then you say it back to me the same way I say it all right so you ready for this aloha Aloha. yeah you knocked it out of the park very good well it's always fun for me to be here in Minnesota this is uh, this is the motherland for me so I live in Franklin Tennessee uh, Nashville area and um, but it's always good for me to get back up here. I'm still a die-hard Viking fan, which I just tell people means I die hard every year. <laughs> so, but next year's coming, right? And you know, you know where they're hosting the draft? In my town. So my son has already, he's leading me through the process. Right now, Dad, you gotta download the fan pass, and then when we get in, you have to up, you know, and so anyway, so we're gonna be two weeks from now at the draft praying for the Vikings, (laughs) to pick the guy that can take them to the Super Bowl, like, finally, right? It's on my bucket list that they win a Super Bowl and I'm there. I don't know how that will happen financially, but we can trust the Lord for all things, is that right? The bigger trust might be that they'll actually get there, but I can trust the Lord for that, all right? So it's good to be with you. I feel uh, very much an easy heart link with Kent, your pastor. You have a good man good couple leading you guys as a flock, and I just want to encourage you, just keep leaning into the Lord. So today I want to talk to you about something that um, we're going to call it, you'll see a PowerPoint that you can follow along with, uh, obedience, the engine of transformation. And one of the things that uh, I have found over the years as a disciple of Jesus is the key to a successful journey with the Lord is obedience. It's obeying what Jesus shows you to do. Matter of fact, as we'll see a little bit later on, it's the process of transformation. I often hear people will say things to me like, Yeah, but God just didn't do this or that or the other thing. And and when I say, So what did he ask you to do? Well, he asked me to, did you do that? No, I just. As a disciple of Jesus, obedience needs to be at the epicenter of our lives. Let me show you something here. Matthew chapter 28. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Let me share a story with you. Um, it was about playing basketball as a young guy. Let me put that next slide up here. And I, I was 13 years old. It was right before we moved here to Minnesota so I was born here and then dad was a sales guy and we were out on the West Coast for a while and then came back here to go to high school so as a Mounds View High School graduate and when I uh, got back here uh, one of the things that I loved at the time was basketball I've always played sports football baseball basketball and I, I was playing on the basketball team in Rancho Bernardo San Diego area California the year before I had the good opportunity to make the all-star team my strength was my shot and so I I had a good shot, and I made the all-star team, so that next year as a 13-year-old going into basketball, I was really looking forward to it, growing, stretching, having our team win. Well, they had a draft, and so I was drafted on a team whose coach determined that our practices were going to be on Wednesday nights, youth group, and Sunday mornings, church. And, you know, I I loved basketball, I, I was, you know, Three years earlier, before this, when we were living in Phoenix, the Phoenix Suns basketball team used to have a—you'd go into a McDonald's and they had those. Remember those um, barrels that were like this that you could turn? You know, and you'd open the thing up. You wrote your name and stuff on a card, dropped it in. In every Suns home game, forty-one of them, they would choose ten kids' names out of there, and you got two tickets to go to the game. But that wasn't the best part. Once you got there, they chose two people to be the official Phoenix Suns bench warmers. You sat on the bench, and, you were the, and and I won. So it's like I have this love for basketball and for the sons who aren't doing so well these days. But anyway, so this is three years after that, having fun playing basketball as a kid. And now I know, okay, so my coach, who obviously is not involved in any church life, has determined when our practices are going to be. This is the first time in my life that I can remember, because I'd given my life to the Lord a year or two before, that I was challenged with obedience. So I asked my mom and dad about it, and they didn't push. I think they knew this is something you need to work out between you and the Lord. And I remember as a 13-year-old kid praying. saying, Lord, what do you want me to do with this? And I felt like the Lord showed me, I want you to be able to lay this down, and I want you to follow me. It was not an easy moment in my life. It was not something easy for me to do, but I remember learning through that moment that following Jesus meant there was going to be some sacrifice, there was going to be some obedience that was going to be required. And so today I want to talk to you about that. Now let me read this verse over to you again that we just looked at. Check this out. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now note this, teaching them to obey. You see, one of the things that I learned is disciple-making is really about teaching people how to obey the Lord. That's all that it is. And so when I walk with people in life, my question is often, what has the Lord shown you? Which then leads to questions like, how do you hear the voice of God? So when we talk about that stuff, it's another opportunity for me to help grow them. I still feel like a kindergartner in it, but I can tell them what I've learned. But it's helping them to obey the Lord. So when I'm working with leaders or, you know, living in Nashville where people can sing, um, you know, we work with artists. And so walking along some artists, some of them who you would know, you'd recognize their names. And as they're praying and they're asking the Lord, I will ask that question. So what has Jesus asked you to do? Because the key in life is obeying what the Lord shows you to do. And so I want to ask you a question as we start. What's the last thing Jesus asked you to do, and are you doing it? Whether it's tend your wife well, whether it's obey your parents, whether it's I want you to go on the church's missions trip this summer, or whether it's a volunteer opportunity the Lord said I want you to jump in and What was the last thing you know the God of heaven and earth said to you? And are you doing it? Now, let me be a little dramatic on this. Don't you think if the God of the universe, the creator of molecules and Mars, stops to show you something that it might be important and therefore might be important to actually obey because you can trust him? But see, sometimes we forget that it's paying the bills and taking the dog out and doing life. And we forget about obedience. And by the way, while we're here, let me say something to you about this. When you hear the word obedience, for some of you, you kind of get locked up because you think legalism. That's not what obedience is. Like if we were with Jesus on the day he said this, this is what it would have looked like. If you love me, you'll obey me. It was not, if you love me, prove it by obedience. Some of us think of God like that. He's not like that. He woos you with his love. He wins your heart with the way he cares for you. And then he says, hey, by the way, would you co-co-mission, would you co-mission with me? If you love me, you'll obey me. So it showed me in my own life, that I can really gauge my love for God, not on how loud I worship and how much I put my hands up or how much I put in the offering, do you know that Jesus' love language is obedience? You can really measure your walk with Jesus by the deliberateness or lack of deliberateness of obedience. Let that get on you a bit today. Wear that a bit for the next little bit. And if conviction comes and the Lord's probing like this a little bit, you'll have an opportunity today to say, Jesus, I want to make that right. So let me show you something. Can you throw that next slide up here? I want you to, to notice these things. When you look at these, what do they remind you of? Anything in particular? They're kind of Sunday school stories, right? These, these are stories Noah and the ark, Moses in the burning bush. I have, a, I have a four and a half year old grandson. He's starting to hear more and more of these stories. Queen Esther, David and Goliath, Daniel in the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, all right? Jonah in the whale, Matthew, and Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. See, you guys know that, all right? And so here we have these stories. And, and again, we could throw more, more up here, but here's 10 stories. Do you know that with every single one of these stories, if you pull obedience out of the story, it would not be a story we'd be telling? Let me show you this. Follow along with me here. What if Noah simply went with his experience and didn't build the ark? At that point, they don't think there was ever ra- There hadn't been rain on the earth. It was, the earth was watered from kind of wells that sprung up. And if God said, no, there's just going to be this thing called rain and I need you to build an ark... Do you know it took him 100 years of faithfulness? I kid my Chicago Cubs fan, saying it took Noah longer to build the ark than it did for you to win a World Series. Fortunately, the Vikings haven't been around that long yet, all right? What if Moses decided it was too embarrassing to go back to Egypt? What if Joshua chose to climb the walls instead of walking around them? This makes no sense. Do you, ever, you realize God sometimes asks you to do things that doesn't make sense in your mind, but makes perfect sense in his? What if Esther elected to not go before the king on behalf of the Jews? She was supposed to be killed if you brought a request like that. What if David hadn't obeyed his father to go out and see his brothers? Go go, bring your brothers some cheese and bring me back a report. He would have never encountered Goliath. There's a good lesson there. Sometimes obeying those in authority over you, actually it's a way God gets you to where he wants you to be. Let's just close in prayer on that one, all right? What if Daniel what if, what if Daniel stopped praying to his God due to peer pressure? Like, what if he just went, no, man, what are people thinking? They're going to kill me. What if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego decided it was easier to just bow down to the statue? Come on, let's just bow down. We'll, we'll fight this fight another day. What if Jonah decided not to go to Nineveh? Oh, wait, he didn't. But God gave him another opportunity, didn't he? Just like he does with us. What if Matthew chose not to leave his tax booth and follow Jesus? What if Zacchaeus just said, man, the view up appears great ain't coming down. You ain't going to my house. Do you understand all of those stories change? Because the key element in them is the way the person encountered God and obeyed. Every single one of those stories. How about this? The disciples of Jesus... Jesus told them to wait in the upper room until the power of the Spirit came. Jesus told them to preach the gospel. He told them they'd go before kings and councils. He told them to make disciples. So let's apply the same things. What would have happened if the disciples hadn't waited for power on high? We wouldn't have the story there in the book of Acts. What if they didn't proclaim the gospel in word and demonstration of power? We wouldn't have the book of Acts. What if they they caved when they were brought before councils and kings and, oh man, okay, okay, we'll work out a deal. We won't preach the gospel anymore because it's bothering you. It'd be a different day. And what if they didn't obey the command of Jesus to reproduce disciples? Check this out. In each one of these stories, obedience brought transformation within the lives of the ones being asked to obey and or to the world around them. Obedience is the engine of transformation. It's the thing that drives it. And so when you're crying out for transformation in your own life or in society, in the world around you, and it's not coming, this is where we need to start. Ask the question, what has the Lord asked me to do about it? What are you asking of me? And this means we need to learn to be dialed into the Lord. That's why for me, you know, as a pastor and Kenton's pastor, we say, hey, are you having regular times with the Lord each day? Whether it's in the morning or in the evening or in the afternoon or in the drive. Like, are you having time with the Lord? Why? Not so you can check it off the box and go, I had my quiet time. Got my de- reading done, Matthew 7 to 9. It's because God wants you to walk out of your house in the morning with a radar. Boop. 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 Lady crying on aisle four in Walmart. Boop. That when the Lord wants to drop something into your heart, you're willing to listen and you're willing to obey. You see, the world around us, for example, let's just take movies. I love going to movies with my wife. But our movies these days, they just, you know, everyone tries to top the other in explosions and bigness and loudness, all this kind of stuff. And do you know that our young people, and, and I, I, I want to say this to those in particular who are 40 and older today, The next generation is dependent on this generation of the church to live this out. Because what they need to experience is a book of Acts experience. They need to see the dead raised. They need to see people healed. They need to see the gospel preached in the midst of a culture that is becoming more and more unfriendly. But if we don't model it for them, then the big exciting things are over here in entertainment, rather than saying, no, I laid my hands on them and they were healed. And so this isn't just about me at 59. This is about us looking at the generation coming behind us because they want things that are real. They want things that are tangible. They want things that they can have big faith for. But if we're not modeling it, they won't follow. And so this causes me as a 59-year-old father and papa to want to encounter God in a fresh way myself. Not long ago, I I would uh, go... In the mornings for walks that were three to four miles long and there was an area by where we used to live that was easy for me to do that and it was co- combining exercising, prayer, kind of clearing my head, getting my heart ready for the day and as I was walking by this this woman and her look to me like 20 year old college-age daughter it was a colder September morning and they had their hands wrapped around their coffee cups and I just I said good morning and walked by and I got about 20 steps down the road I felt the Lord say, When you go down, because I've had them another two blocks to go, and when you come back, I want you to stop and speak with them. I didn't hear that here, but it was just right there. So I just kept, I looked over my shoulder. They were still I kept walking. I said, Well, I guess they're gonna have to be there. Then when I so I turn around, and of course they're now three blocks up, and I just said, Lord, I don't know where they live. So if they turn I it was just kinda but I said, I'm willing. Sure enough, you know, I'm twenty feet away now, so I know this is gonna happen. So now I really dial into the Lord. And so I just I just kind of st- step off the pavement and get in front of them and say, hey, I, I know I said good morning. And I didn't even know what I was supposed to say. I just know I was supposed to stop. So I stop, and and they and Abby, the, the girl's name, she takes her coffee cup like this and gives it to her mom. She walks up really uncomfortably close to me for never meeting before. And she looks at me and she says, you don't know this, but I go to your church. And I've been really walking through some dark places. And several Sundays ago, you spoke about the character of God. And it began to give me some hope. And so right there, a prayer time, right on the curb. And what I didn't know was two years later, when my wife was doing her discipleship journey group with millennials, God wanted the bridge there because Abby wanted to go through it. So Abby just finished last month going through a year of discipleship journey with my wife. God had a whole plan. She wrote me an email and said, Dave, thank you for your willingness to obey because it's impacted my life and my family. Guys, like that's the real deal. Are you walking in obedience? Like when the Lord just wants you to be obedient. Or do we get cowardice? I mean, I'm using that word, I'm choosing not to use the word fear. I'm choosing you to use the word cowardice. God's looking for men and women that are willing to be courageous, to step out. It was in Red Lake Falls, Minnesota, when I was living up north. My friend Carol, our family friend and ministry friend of many, many years, is here today with me and We we lived up there in northern Minnesota, and and this would have been about before the time that Carol was up there, but um, I was asked as about a 21-year-old to speak at a youth conference at Red Lake Falls. And I spoke, challenged young people to step up, had a great night, but one of the things I had said that night was, and if you need a touch from the Lord in a unique way, he can do that for you tonight. So some kid, high school kid, comes up to me, And he says, can God heal my leg? I said, like, what's the deal with your leg? He said, I'm a hockey player, and I have to have a lift in my skate. It doesn't help me. I said, can I see? So what I did is I took a chair and another chair, sat them across from each other, and I just said, hey, take your shoes off and your socks so I can see what you're talking about. And I sit down. He sits down back up against the thing there so he's straight. And I said, hey, just put your your heels in my hands. And so it looked about like this. This one was that much shorter. And... He said, do you think Jesus can do something about this? Well, Mr. Man of Faith and Power had the faith of about the size of a mustard seed. But, you know, that's all you need. And I prayed. And I watched as this leg right here, about two and a half inches shorter, did this. And as it's going like this, my eyes are big, and I look up him, and he's crying, and he's realizing he's encountering the risen one. Do you understand, unless you step out when God asks you to do something, you don't ever get to see it. You just get to hear everybody else's stories. But if you're willing to obey, you're going to be the one saying, Pastor Ken, I need to share this. Because God will have done something through your life. And as a disciple of Jesus, he invites us to obey. He is, if you love me, you'll obey me. Why? Because out of love for him, how can you not? This is how the church gets on the move. And precious people of God, and I'm the first to confess this, we have created habits of disobedience. It's like we hear it, oh, that was a good message, or in small group, that was awesome. But do you do something with it? Do you do something with it? Let me just show you a couple things here about Jesus and obedience, and I want to show you the process of transformation, all right? So look at this here, Jesus, his obedience is all about who is really in charge of your will. Jesus learned obedience. Look at the scripture, Hebrews 5, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. I love this because I'm still learning to obey. Anybody else out there with me? But Jesus had to learn it. I love that. Look at this second one here. It says he obeyed the Father. He didn't only learn obedience, he obeyed the Father. So check this out. Look at that verse now, John 5, 19. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing... Of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. Jesus only did what he saw his Father doing. Which meant he was dialed in enough, boop, boop, when God wanted to say, son, I want you to go into that situation and bring my presence. He did what he saw the Father doing. How about this third one about Jesus? He obeyed... In Gethsemane, It's kind of coming up here this week, isn't it? As we recognize Jesus in Gethsemane. What does it say? And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me, nevertheless not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And everybody said? Again, for the second time he went away and prayed, My Father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Even in the most intense moment of Jesus' life, he said, Father, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus asked us, as his disciples, to walk in obedience. Check this out. John 14, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Whoever is my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Not only the, don't, when you hear that, don't only think my word, the Bible, yes, certainly that. But the word that God puts into your heart of what he asks you to do. And my Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. And one other thing here. Look at, Jesus talked to us about the house built on the rock. Matthew 7. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, parentheses, obedience, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock because of obedience. Check the second dude out. And everyone who hears these words of mine, same premise, they heard, just like some of you will hear today. But look what happens. And does not do them, parentheses, disobedience, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And when the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat against that house. It fell, and great was the fall of it. See, here's the thing. It's important that we obey what Jesus reveals to us. So several years ago, I had a pastor call me who wanted to take me out to lunch. And I've learned over the years that when someone wants to take you to lunch and buy, it's always the will of God to say yes. (laughs) Right? So we go out to a restaurant called J. Alexander's. His name is Carter. He's a wonderful friend now. But the first time we met, he, I said, Carter, like, why are we? Why, what can I do for you? And we chatted for 10 minutes about family stuff and all that. Then he got serious and he kind of dropped his glasses a little bit, leaned across the table. He said, let me tell you why I'm asking you to, to lunch. I said, okay. He said, so in our church, we know the word really well. He said, I could bring people from our church here that could highlight Hebrews for you, give you an entire overview of Romans. But then he said this, but they're not being transformed. They're hearing but not being transformed. And I winked at him, and I said, well, you know, the devil knows the Bible really well, and he's not transformed either. <laughs> Guys, it's not about knowledge of the Bible. It's about applying the Bible. Otherwise, we have a powerless church. Guys, so he said to me, so how do you do it? He said, I know you like to make disciples. How, what's that process? Well, let me show you the process that is the Lord's process. Once I show you this, you're going to see it everywhere in Scripture. But it's the process of how God transforms us and how he pushes his life through us to help transform others. So let me show you this diagram that I drew with my fingers on the table. I just drew three circles on the table like this. And I started with the last one, and I put transformation. I put transformation. I said, this is what you're after. I said, yeah, this is what I'm after. I said, well, as a pastor, have you ever noticed that you don't have any power to transform people? He said, yeah, unfortunately, yes. We all know that as pastors. There's nothing we can do to transform anybody's life. That's God's job. This is God's job. So if you're trying to transform your kids, ain't going to work. You need to pray and you ask Jesus to do this process in their life. If you're trying to change your mother-in-law or father-in-law, you might want to quit doing that. (laughs) Trying to transform your husband or your wife, this is God's job. I want you to understand this is God's job. And he does it well. Like the next time you have an apple, take a look at that seed and notice how he has even created something that small in creation that has transformational power. Not only does it create another apple, it creates a tree. Not only a tree, but orchards. Not only maybe one orchard, but tons of orchards all from one seed. And we've run into people's lives who we knew once they were lost, now they're found and oh my gosh, look at the so we know this, but this is God's job, transformation. So I said, I said so Carter, let me show you how it starts. And I, I went up to the first one, and I said, I want you to understand the word revelation. There's a difference between revelation and knowledge. Okay? I love the word of God. I love the word of God. We have created in our country, though, a Bible study culture that's more about information rather than transformation. Okay? And one of the things that we need to do is we need to pray, pay attention to what God's doing. So what is revelation? Revelation, so, so knowledge, knowledge is I can Google it, and I can get just about anything I want. Knowledge, information, facts, figures. Revelation, it literally means in the Greek, the pulling back of curtains where once I couldn't see, and now I see. It's like when you go to a school play. At least in Tennessee, the way the plays are, when our kids were little, we'd go to the play, everybody would be yakking, someone would kind of do this with the lights, and then the lights start fading, everybody means go sit down and start being quiet, and you're all looking up at the big, have you noticed navy blue, burgundy, or black, you know, curtain up there? And once that curtain's opened, it's like, oh my gosh, it's a space shuttle, it's a Hawaiian island, it's an old western town, it's, once I didn't see, now I see, that's revelation. And what God is wanting to do is from a sermon, from a friend over a cup of coffee, a time of worship, a time in the Word, whoever, wherever it comes from, are you aware that God wants to pull back the curtains and show you stuff? And remember Jesus, when he's hanging with the guys, he says, hey, who do people say that I am? Well, some say you're John the Baptist or, or, or you're Elijah one of the prophets, and he says, who do you say that I am? Do you remember who pipes up? Peter. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And what does Jesus say? Flesh and blood has not... Do you understand? Flesh and blood, me, you. It's impossible to get spiritual revelation through a person. God is the one that does this and reveals it to you. So if you're sitting there, and over the last few weeks, you keep having this nudge inside about, you need to make stuff right with your dad. Or, I asked you to give that to them. Or, I said, turn your eyes away from that. Do you understand? You're not wrestling with hearing the voice of God. You're hearing him very clearly. You just need to underscore and realize the maker of heaven and earth and you has paused to show you something, to reveal something to you. This is God's job. The revealing and the transforming. That's why I said to you, what was the last thing the Lord showed you he wanted you to do? Those are God's jobs. So what's our job? Look at the middle one. Obedience. So, So let me say it this way. What God reveals to you is not meant to be negotiated. It's meant to be obeyed. Again, maker of Mars and molecules stopping and showing you something. And we just kind of view it as like, you know, when we were in high school, oh, you could go to Notre Dame, the U of M, you could go over to, you know. And we just kind of view it as advice. And I want to say, we have got to recover the fear of the Lord that says when God shows me something, I'm stepping up to the plate. This is how transformation happens in you and through you. Both. And so, are we, are we paying attention to this? Let me just show you, discipling. This is stuff we're supposed to pass on to others. Remember? Teaching them to obey. So when I'm with folks, like, throw, throw this, um, there's two pictures there. Throw that first picture up for me. So th- this is my friend Kent, the guy in the white next to me. I'm on the end. And so Kent, about 16 years ago, I began to, begin to pour into Kent's life the things of God. Kent discipled George. Who's about five years older than me, and George travels with me every once in a while, and so it's always fun for me to say, I want to introduce you to my grandson. So people are looking for looking. Here comes George. Do you see? He's my spiritual grandson. I poured into Kent, who's a son in the Lord. Kent's poured into George. And then George is poured in to Luke, and then there's the new guy I haven't even really met yet, except for hi, picture. Bye. Five generations deep. You see, in 2 Timothy 2, 2, it talks about Paul discipling Timothy, second generation who pours into faithful ones who poured into others. Here's another one I thought you'd have fun with. As you look at this next picture, have any of you ever heard of a girl by the name of Mandisa? So I've been Mandisa's pastor for the last, I don't know, 15 years now, and have poured discipleship into her. This is her sister's group. So she's in the middle there, and this is the group of young artists that are emerging out there that she's now pouring the ways of God into. So I told her, I said, I need to meet my granddaughters. So not long ago, I had a chance to meet them. Guys, it's pouring in generationally. Like, I want you to understand, when your pastor is talking to you here about disciple-making, I want you to understand, disciple-making is the primary, I'm not saying only, but it's the primary way of advancing God's kingdom in the world. Like, you cannot see the culture change because you're yelling at it and picketing. You First you pray, then you obey, and you obey by pouring the ways of God into a person that God can then pick up and put in office. In my state where I live... We have a brand-new governor who happens to be in our church who is a man of God, who waits on the Lord, who seeks God's face. It is remarkable what is happening. His first day in office, he goes to our black university, a Tennessee State, and he's the first governor to ever be there for Martin Luther King Day, declaring God loves the nations. God loves African Americans. The second day, he took our 15 poorest counties, and he created an initiative so that they can get up to speed racial issues and the poor his first two days in office. That's pretty awesome. But see, the way that di- how, see, disciple-making is God's plan, not just to, to impact the church, but to change the world. Because if we don't pour the character of God, the ways of God, the mission of God into people's lives, that then God can go like this and plant them places, transformation will not happen. Are you following me? This is why Jesus taught the multitudes but spent his three years pouring into 12 guys. And then when he left, and they're empowered by the Spirit, we see the book of Acts. So here's the math. The book of Acts is not the book of Acts because of the coming of the Holy Spirit. The book of Acts is the book of Acts because of the coming of the Holy Spirit on discipled people. You have to do the math. The empowerment of God coming on people who had been poured in the ways of God. And it brings the transformation of God. Are you following me? Let me just close with this. Engaging obedience. How do we do that and how do we realign to it? First of all, we need to live fully in the moment. We need to be present. So often today it's like, hey, how are you? And as you're shaking their hand, you're looking. Like, are, are you fully present? Or would people say, nah, I know you're here physically, but you ain't here. Like one of the things we have to do is be fully present. On my way home, when I had my, I got kids that are 34 and 32 now. But when they were in our home, I had a certain place that I could drive underneath. It gave me 20 minutes to think about work and kind of unload it all and all that stuff. And then to get my heart ready. So when I walked into my house, I wasn't just a ragbag dad exhausted because I wanted to love my wife and kids well. Do we do that kind of stuff? Are we being challenged? Are we living? Are we saying, okay, i got to be present for my wife, present for my kids, present for my husband, present for those on the job, present in Walmart on aisle five? Because you never know when the risen one may want to break out of you to touch a life. Secondly, watch and listen to co-mission with Jesus. Learn how to cultivate when you think it's God-prompting you, and learn how to watch when you think, oh, I see what God's doing here and where he would have you step in. And then again, act courageously. When the Lord shows you something, like what's the worst thing that can happen? The worst thing that happens is you have to apologize and say, you know what, I I think I missed it. Guess what, you just grew in humility. (laughs) Trust me, I've been there multitudes of times. But if you don't step out, you never get to see what God can do through you. So how do we rely into obedience? Three quick things. Begin with repentance. Begin with repentance. Lord, see, repentance means I'm going to own it. I'm not sloughing it off to somebody else. Lord, I repent, and I ask you to forgive me for not being obedient to you. Just kind of make it an optional thing. And I receive your forgiveness in Jesus' name. Draw a line in the sand and begin anew. Secondly, we need to grow in the fear of the Lord. We need to grow in the fear. I like to define that as reverencing and referencing God in all that you do. The thing I had to learn in my life is disobedience is really a lack of the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is reverencing God. You're God and I'm not. I I woke up this morning and could suck air because you gave me breath and grace to do it. Not because of anything I'm entitled to have earned. And the fear of the Lord is also referencing God in all that you do. And then here's, you guys, the chiropractic adjustment that you can do this day before you go to bed tonight. Obey the last thing God showed you to do. Jonah talks about, you know, if we don't forfeit the worthless idols that are in our life, we'll never know the grace of God through our lives. So I just want to challenge you as I close today. What is the last thing Jesus has asked you to do? Was it get up and have a quiet time? Was it to forgive somebody? Was it to go care for somebody? Was it to go share your faith with somebody? Would you guys just stand with me? I'm going to close. I just want to close here in prayer. And I'm going to pitch it to Kent. Unless you want me to pitch it to someone else. Oh, the worship team. I see them coming. I'm very discerning. <laughs> you guys, where is that last time the Lord showed you something? Whether it was conviction of sin, guidance, a relational issue... Something he was confirming or affirming in you. Or maybe you're here today saying, You know, I I don't know that I know how to hear from God. I want to encourage you. There's plenty of opportunities here in this precious church to learn that. Come and see the the team and say, Hey, how can I learn to do this? Because we have a God that through the Word and by the Holy Spirit in us wants to show us how to hear from Him. For my wife and I, one of those biggest things is peace. If Cheryl and I do not have peace about it together, and we don't have agreement, it's, it just back, gets backburnered. We don't even need to pray about it because the Lord's called us to be one. And if one of the two of us is going, honey, as I'm praying about this, I'm just not there. Back burner. doesn't mean it's, you know what I've learned in my marriage? I tend to be the one that sees the next step, but my wife is almost always the one the Lord uses on timing. And so it's learning to listen to the Lord together. Jesus, we thank you. That you said when you were here, if you love me with a shrug of the shoulders like it's a natural thing, then you'll obey me. Lord, forgive us. And if this is you, just kind of amen with me today. Lord, forgive us for the places of our lives where we've made obedience drudgery. Forgive us, Lord, where obedience has become kind of a legalistic word. And Lord, we forgive those who've hurt us and set us up to think that way. Lord, I pray that today you breathe new life into us, that we'd see obedience as an opportunity of affection for you and going on a pretty awesome adventure that allows our lives to be transformed and to let us commission with you in doing so. So, Lord, today, if that's you, gang, just ask the Lord right now, Lord, forgive me. Lord, forgive us for our places of disobedience. Forgive us, Lord, for our places of walking in independence. Forgive us for where we've just made you our backpack buddy, where we just pull you out when we need you, and we stuff you back in after that. But we want to be disciples in this era that we're living. Thank you that we've been born for such a time as this. So, Lord, would you cause obedience to you out of love to find a fresh wave here in this precious, precious flock of God? In Jesus' name.
0: In a moment, we're going to take an offering to bless our guest minister tonight, today. But as Dave was speaking, I felt the Lord was just giving me kind of a an excited vision of what God wants to do through us. Just saying, what would this life, what would your life, your family, this society look like if we prayed, listened, and then in the fear of the Lord had the courage to take that step. Even on simple things like inviting people to church next Sunday. Christmas time, the Lord spoke to me and said, send out a letter of invite to all the neighbors on this neighborhood mailing we have. I invited them all to church. I don't think anybody came but I think I passed, I obeyed. You know, it doesn't always work like a formula, but God calls us to take steps of faith and we're gonna see God do such great things through this church as we obey and that brings transformation in us. And that's what God wants. God wants to look down on us and every day see more and more of his glory, more and more of his reflection in each and every one of us. So ushers, come on forward. Praise the Lord. We're going to take an offering. Bless Dave as he heads back tomorrow morning. Just says, the Lord...